Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see you all here in the local congregation, and good to imagine you all up there in the non-local congregation being part of this moment. You know, the Bible, I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. In case you didn't know who I was, good to meet you. Thank you. Um, The Bible says that uh, weeping may endure through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And uh, in Minnesota here, we kind of revise that a little bit. We say, weeping may endure through the winter, but joy comes in the springtime. Hallelujah. I, yes, isn't it, the first 60 degree day is like, oh, it's just wonderful. So make sure you get out this afternoon and enjoy this incredibly good weather. I feel like we earn the right to enjoy spring when you go through the winter, right? So enjoy it. Uh, thanks to Dan for doing such a great job last week. Wasn't that incredible? A great message. How Jesus, it seems, Jesus takes uh, misinformed physiology, but transforms it into incredible theology. I thought that was just a great, great point. And some of you were like, is that what he did last week? Yeah, that's what he did last week. It was uh, a really good message. He's an eccentric guy, a real weirdo, but man, he, he can deliver a good word. So praise God. We're, 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 we're blessed with him. Hi, Dan. <laughs> uh, I, before I get into the word, I want to just uh, lead us in a, a corporate time of prayer uh, for the people of Ukraine. That situation just goes from bad to worse and from worse to worser. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's just, I'm sure you're keeping up with it. And it's hard not to be overwhelmed by just the pain and, and the level of suffering that's there. So we're, we're kingdom people. We've got a unique authority to release kingdom influence uh, in the world by coming together, uniting in prayer. And so we're going to just release some kingdom influence in that area. And we, we won't know the difference it makes. There's so many moving parts, so many variables. We can't know what difference our prayer makes. But it always makes some difference, amen? And so we do what we can. And so... Let's, uh, and we're supporting some ministries over there and stuff like that. But let's, uh, let's support them in prayer. Abba, Father, we thank you that we are your children and that you have given us the, the say-so in the spiritual realm to bring about your will on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, we want to cash in on that and the people of, of Ukraine. The massive suffering that's going on there, the brutality that's going on there, uh, 167 children that have been killed so far, our hearts just break. And we know that your heart breaks for the suffering and the displacement and the uh, just misorientation that where people are there lost, they don't know where to go and find safety. God, we just cover that in prayer. And we pray, Lord, there be a release of your kingdom influence, which is always in the direction away from violence and towards peace, away from hatred and towards love, away from estrangement and towards reconciliation. Father, let your spirit be moving in that direction. And if possible, in some way, Lord, get through Putin's heart and the heart of those who are around him to deliver them from this diabolical bondage that they're in, in in, in thinking they have a right to this and and, and the callous view they have of people and just the ruthless way they're carpet bombing the place. Father, change their hearts and minds. And if there's other ways of bringing a stop to this, Lord, we pray for that to happen. Thank you, Lord, for the good that you're already bringing out of this, as, as nightmares as this is. You're bringing out some good here, you're unifying nations. You're, good things are happening. We thank you for that. Continue to do that. But we pray, Lord, for a, a speedy end to this. In some way, however possible, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right. All right. So we're... Uh, Speeding our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and we're up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. A, uh, no, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, this is a message that 
I just feel is so absolutely um, timely and important and central, especially for those of us who are in a Western cultural context, and especially here in America. So listen up on this. Um, Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. We think we can, but we can't. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, the word money here, mamonas, um, sometimes it's translated mammon. And by the way, I found out last night as we were doing a run-through, and Dan pointed out to me that um, there's a glitch in my brain, it seems like, when it comes to mammon, I, 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 my brain, I can't distinguish that from manna. And it turns out last night when I was talking about mammon, I sometimes would say manna. I wouldn't even know it. So if I say manna at some point, just know that I mean mammon, all right? Basically, any word that starts with M, it stands for mammon, all right? So just, <laughs> the word mammon, it, it literally means wealth or money, money, wealth. Um, but Jesus is here speaking of it in a personified way, as though it was a being, someone you could serve, as though it was a deity. In fact, as though it was a deity that competes with God for devotion. And there's a, a debate about whether Jesus intends to refer to mammon as an actual deity, mammon being the name of this deity. We know that, that uh, shortly after the time of Jesus, mammon was identified as this god of wealth, a demonic being that, that in, in, in infused wealth with this kind of pull away from God. And so the debate is, did Jesus mean that or not? Or was he just speaking metaphorically? And um, it gets kind of academic and whatever, but it really doesn't matter. Either way, whether he's speaking metaphorically or ontologically, um, he's, he's, he's saying that there is a demonic pull to wealth. The more you have of it, the more of, it, the more of you it has. And, and you think you're owning it, but it ends up owning you. There's a demonic pull away from devotion towards God and towards devotion towards wealth. The pursuit of wealth, accumulation. Um, and so it, it's not that money is intrinsically evil or that wealth is intrinsically evil as though poverty was intrinsically good. No, that's not the case. But wealth is intrinsically dangerous in a way that poverty is not. Dangerous. Uh, the, more, uh, the more you have of it, the more it pulls you in. It, wealth functions something like gravity. You know, the, the larger a mass is, the, the, the greater its gravitational pull. If I, was on, I lived on Jupiter, uh, I'd be, I think, about like six or seven times heavier than I am right now, maybe more than that. So I'm really glad I live on Earth because I'm fat enough on Earth as it is. It'd be terrible if I was on Jupiter. But um, yeah, there's this gravitational pull. And, and, and some folks can resist it, but the more you have of it, the harder it is to resist. That's why you have in the Bible all these warnings about being rich. No one does it more than Jesus. It's hard for rich people to get into heaven. It says that explicitly. There's a gravitational pull here. This wealth, this mammon, isn't necessarily just monetary. It's whatever in any context is counted as, as wealth, whatever makes you rich in a cultural context, um, whatever accounts as winning in a cultural context. It could be, you know, I mean, the, the three biggies are, are fame, fortune, and power, but you can also uh, you know, get it from anything. Wherever there's a point system, where a social group that says, well, we aspire to this. It could be your religiosity, how, how spiritual you are. That could be mammon. 
If it's what makes you feel fully alive, if it's what makes you feel rich, like what makes your life feel like it's worth with, living, what makes you feel like a somebody? Could be the talent that you have, or the achievements that you've got, or how pretty you are. It could be anything you get life from. Whatever counts as winning in this world's game, that's mammon. It draws you. There's a lure there. Now, John gives us kind of a fuller picture of this. He uses the word world instead of mammon, but uh, they're, they're very closely related. And here's what John says in 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it comes not from the Father, but it comes from the world. John, sometimes when he speaks of the world, he means this planet and, and the human population on it. So when he says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, he, he's referring to it in that way, just world, the normal way of speaking about the world. John also uses world sometimes in, in a more pejorative sense, as for example, when, he, when this is what he's doing here. The world represents the system that is estranged from God. The world represents this world system that is under this diabolical power. Uh, it represents the world fallen into idolatry. And so mammon is what makes this world work. Whatever counts as success in this world, whatever gets you ahead in this world, that is mammon. And John here says that the enticing part of the, the, this world, which I'm identifying with mammon, it's, it's what is, it satisfies the lust of the eyes, or the, 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 the flesh. Um, it, it's, it's, it's what's pleasurable. It gives you, it's, it's pleasurable, makes you feel comfortable. Or it's what delights the eyes, the sensational, the wow, the dazzling, the entertaining, oh, mesmerizing. Or it's what constitutes the pride of life. And this is just like, what do people boast about? What makes you a somebody? What are your bragging rights? What do you have as an advantage that helps you be a winner in this world's system, pride of life? Um, what is it that makes your life, what gives you life, your identity? It's all of that. That's, that's the pull of mammon. And typically it's fame, fortune, and power, but it can be anything. Anything that competes for devotion with God is mammon. You see this illustrated in the, in the Genesis story of the fall where uh, the serpent comes to Eve in Genesis 3. And, and the first thing he does is he makes God out to be a liar. So that Eve stops trusting in, in God. And then he says, check out this tree. Uh, did God say you can't eat that tree or, or you'll die? Nah, he's a liar. This tree will give you life. And then we read this in Genesis 3, 6. He says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes... And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She saw that it was good for food. The lust of the flesh, it would be pleasurable. It was a delight to the eyes. Oh, wow, it's dazzling. It's beautiful. Must have it. It's the pride of life. And this is the real selling point here. Eat from this tree and you can be wise. Like God, you can know good and evil. You can be judge of the universe. You'll know good and evil. You'll judge, and that's what we become when we eat of this tree. Judge of the universe. Whenever we judge others, we're playing like God. But that's the pride of life. Oh, you can be somebody. Now, note the deception involved in this. Because that tree was planted in the garden by God. 
And it was God's no, loving, no trespassing sign. Just saying, don't go here. There's got to be limits. If you're going to function as a whole human being the way God intended, there's got to be some parameters. There's got to be some limits, some things that you're not supposed to do. Stay away from this tree. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and, 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 and so he did, God didn't create this tree as this temptation that Eve's seeing it as. He didn't create it so that it'd be this, this uh, lust of the flesh. No, he didn't create it so that it'd be dazzling to the eyes. It was just a normal tree. According to Genesis 2, it looked like all the other trees. And he certainly didn't create this tree to be the pride of anyone's life. Because God wants to be our pride of life. God wants to be the source of our, our, our life, what makes our life worth living, not some tree that's forbidden. So Eve is looking at this forbidden tree, this no trespassing sign, and now she's seeing it as beautiful, and she's seeing it as satisfying, and she's seeing it as the pride of life. Why? Because she's not trusting God for those things anymore. She believes the lie of the serpent, and so has this untrustworthy picture of God, stops trusting God, so now God's not pouring his life into her the way God designed things. God wanted to be her pride of life. God wanted to be her source, her identity, what gets her out of bed in the morning. God wants to be our everything. But that depends on our trusting in him. And if we have an untrustworthy picture of God in our brains, well, then we don't trust in him, which means our souls start to starve. We're hungry for what only God can, can, can offer us. But in a state of hunger, we look around at the world and we see things that are pleasing to the eye and pleasing to the flesh and are worth bragging about, and we think that that's what we're hungry for. Oh, yummy, 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 must have some of that. And so she takes the tree and she eats of it. She ate of that because she was hungry. And, 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 and so we see things differently in a state of hunger. You know how that is. Never go shopping when you're hungry, right? Because everything looks so good, you've got to have it. I read this account of these folks, I think it was in Chile, these miners that were trapped underground for like 40-some days. And they asked how to survive and how they survive in that. And they survive by finding these bugs, and sometimes toads and worms and stuff. And, and they said, for the first week or so, it's just disgusting. It's hard to even imagine that. But after 20 days, those things start to look delicious. <sighs> I hope I never get in that situation. I never want to look at a bug and think it's delicious. But see, it, 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 it's, it's this illusion. To the degree that we don't get our life from God, to that degree, the idols of the world start to look attractive. To the degree that we're running on hunger, things start to look pleasing and satisfying and enticing and promising. And oh, if only I can have that, well, then my life will be good. If only I can have that, then my life will be worth living. We don't want to feel like we're missing out on the one shot we got. This is what will make our life worth living. But it's all an illusion. You chase after this stuff. And it tastes good if, if, if you're lucky enough to actually get it, and many people aren't, get whatever it is that you're lusting after. But if you get it, it tastes good while you're chewing on it, but it doesn't last very long, does it? It doesn't satisfy. And on top of that, even if you've got what you're craving in this world, whatever makes winning in this world, you're getting the, the, the claim, you're getting the attention, you're getting the whatever. But even when you have it, it causes stress because you know that you might not always have it. You might, in fact, you might, might lose it tomorrow. Uh, the pause today, it's fun while it's happening, but, but you've got you to earn it again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And there's a lot of competition for this kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of folks going after this. So someone might take it from you. And you know that even in the best case scenario, you're going to eventually lose this on some level. We all know that we, we, lo we lose everything we gain in this life eventually. It fades. It dies out. And then it's gone. And our awareness of that as we're clinging to stuff, saying, oh, this makes my life worth living, we realize that it's transitory. It's iffy, it's, it's temporary. Well, it causes there to be another emptiness inside. 
and, 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 and anxiety and stress and sometimes depression. But we, under this deception, we think, well, if I only, if I only can get more of it, well, then I'll be satisfied. And, and we turn into like rats on a treadmill chasing after this proverbial cheese. The idols of this world, the mammon of this world, the, the delight to the eyes and to the flesh and the pride of life, it promises so much and it delivers so little. It promises happiness and it delivers sadness. It promises, here's some healthy food, but it turns out to be poison. Promises that we'll be full, we will walk around empty. Promises that we'll be satisfied, but we end up perpetually hungry. It promises life, but it delivers death. It promises contentment. Ah, if, you, if only you get this, you'll be content. But actually, it breeds discontentment. In fact, the whole, the whole game runs on discontentment. The, the fundamental lie that the enemy gives to Eve is, you can do better. Don't be content with where you're at. Taking a walk with God in the cool of the day like some kind of puppy. No, you can be like God. You can, you can get ahead. Grab out and take what is yours. And grab, that's what makes this world go around. Contentment. Discontentment. I got to have more. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. You know, there are legitimate needs uh, that people have. We need food, shelter, clothing, some, some, some love and attention, legitimate needs. That's good to have a few things that are go beyond needs, a few things that you can just enjoy. That's legitimate. But see, the, the hunger that, and, and this pull that mammon has on us takes us way beyond what we need. In fact, under the pull of mammon, the deceptive power of mammon, we have an impulse. Our fallen nature is that we have an impulse where we want it all. I just had, saw this on a commercial this morning. I want it all. That's all. That's all I'm asking for. I want everything. Everything that life has to offer. This is my one shot. I want to grab all the gusto I can. I want it all. And so it's not just food and shelter. We, we, want, we want to have our best life now. We want to, you know, I want my fair share of the American dream. I, I, want to, I want to climb that ladder of success. I want to be a somebody. I want to make my mark in the world and I want to move up in the middle class where I can afford to take my kids to Disney World. We all love this upward mobility, don't we? We're, we're going to move into a better neighborhood, a safer neighborhood, maybe get some more high society friends and I want a, a bigger car and a faster car, a fancier car, a bigger house. I want to wear some fancier clothes, maybe some designer jeans and get me some Oakley sunglasses and, 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 and wear my hey dudes shoes and, and I'm going to have it going on. Yeah, that's part of the good life. Don't we all want the good life? And of course, we, if you're going to fulfill the American dream, well, you've got to have some toys. You know, I want one of those giant television screen sets, you know, and maybe surround sound in my living room. Why can't I have that with a subwoofer so I can feel the volume when I'm watching a concert or something? And, 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 and of course, part of the American dream is you want a boat, and then you want a bigger boat, and then you want a cabin, and then you want a second cabin, and it goes on, on, and on. And of course, your kids have to have every opportunity in the universe because they, they're genius at something. You just don't know what, so you've got to spend 24-7 driving around places. It's true. And of course, there's retirement, and you got to sock up for that, and it might be an emergency thing, so you want to have an emergency fund, and living is just very expensive. But see, under the influence of this mammon, this pull of mammon, life turns into this rat race where we're chasing after all this stuff. Just chasing. We want to be a winner. We don't want to miss out. We're competing for stuff. We're competing because we're trying to satisfy this hunger on the inside of us. One of the surest proofs of the diabolical power of the pull of mammon is the fact that the vast majority of people are sucked into it and don't know it. I mean, think about this. What do people, on the whole, do people think more? Think about it like this. So, 
he says, if you're devoted to mammon, you're going to be uh, despising God. And despise means you're just neglect. It doesn't mean that you stop believing in God or hate God. It just means that you're just like considering God irrelevant because you're devoted to mammon. And one sign of devotion is maybe what do you think most about and, and, and what you worry most about and what are your emotions mostly connected to? So would you say, generally speaking, people's emotions and thoughts are more oriented around God or around the things I just talked about here? Upward mobility, getting ahead, having some advantages in life. What are we devoted to? Just let that question just rest there. So the, 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 the power of mammon to pull is evidenced by the fact that the vast majority of people are sucked into it. And folks, we gotta see this connection that this is the source of all violence in this world. It's this simple. I want this. I think I need this. This is my mammon. This is what will make me feel truly alive. But see, you want this too. And there's a limited amount of resources to go around. We got a problem. It happens on an individual level. It happens on a corporate level. It happens on a national level. My nation wants to get ahead. Your nation wants to get ahead. We got a problem because we're both, we're going to be butting heads. All violence comes down to, 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 to conflicts over the source of our life. Will make our life worth living. Who's smarter? Who's better? Who's more powerful? Who's blah, 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 blah. And see, this is the way that the principalities and powers play us off against one another. And their agenda to have human beings cannibalize one another on this endless cyclical merry-go-round of violence that they, the powers keep us playing. The, the whole thing is, is illustrated, I guess it was, what, it was 10, 15 years ago, time collapses for me now, but uh, how long ago did the Hunger Games come out, uh, that, that movie with Jennifer Lawrence? Was that like 10 years ago? 10, okay, good. I guessed right. Um, but it, it's a gruesome movie, it, it's about a dystopian future where there's these, these elite, very, very wealthy people who live in this city, and they're the privileged ones, and all around them there are these people who are hungry, and they're divided into these various districts, and once a year, for the entertainment of the wealthy, um, and they act like they're being benevolent with this, they choose, uh, each district chooses a warrior, and they come together to have the Hunger Games. And they're called the Hunger Games because everybody's hungry. And in these Hunger Games, there's like 20 folks representing the 20 different districts, or however many there were. And um, the winner is the last one standing. Uh, and the, if you're the winner, then your district gets food, and you become a hero. Isn't that wonderful? But they're playing, they're playing the folks off against one another, just for their own entertainment. And I don't know what the agenda of the powers are in playing off, off against one another, but it operates very much the same way. There's these powers, principalities and powers. And um, because we're estranged from God and we're under their deception, we have hungry souls. We have misconceptions of God. Most folks aren't trusting God for their source of life and well-being, so they're chasing after stuff. And the powers use that to play us off against one another. Um, and, 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 it, and it's what pleases the flesh, it's what delights the eye, it's the pride of life. And our hunger for that, that leads to all this violence in this world. We're being played. We're being played. So instead of the Hunger Games, I like to call this the Mammon Games. In fact, that's the title of this sermon, the Mammon Games. Because what we're all after is, is this Mammon. And it's all this illusion that's got us trapped up being hungry, being willing to engage in violence, if necessary, to get what we want. What, what is Putin doing over there in the Ukraine? I mean, that's a good question to ask any time. I don't know. But, but at bottom, whatever his political motives and aspirations are and, and, and whatever, he's hungry. He's a hungry guy. He just wants to be somebody. He's trying to be the, the, the king of the hill, the big guy on the block. He wants to be the, the czar that's going to make Russia great again and, and, and reunite the Soviet Union. And all of this, he's got a vision of grandeur, and, and it's going to be wonderful and great. And he's willing to cross thousands and thousands of lives to do it. 
But he's hungry at, at the core of it. He's hungry. He's got this idea of what's he's going to be a big. Now, I have no doubt that he'll be remembered in history. No doubt about that. But I don't think it's going to be for what he thinks it's going to be remembered for. So John says this. If, 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 uh, if, the love, if, if you love the world, if, if, if you're in the grips, well, then to that degree, the love of God's not in you. Jesus is saying the same thing when he says you can't serve God and mammon. You've got to choose between the two. There's this pull there. What he's getting at here, I think, is just this. People play the hunger game or the mammon game because they're hungry. They want life. They want pride of life. They want it to feel like they're fully alive. They want to feel like they're missing things. But see, when you come to faith in Christ, what it means to have faith in Christ is that now you're going to trust that God is fully revealed in Jesus. You're going to trust that, that the love of God that's revealed on the cross is for you. That's what it means to put your trust in Jesus. And, and it means that you invite Jesus, that love of God that's revealed in Jesus, into your life. And as you invite that, that love into your life, it begins to transform you, make you over you. So when you fully trust that God is revealed on the cross, and you invite him in, and you yield to that love, it begins to change the way you think, it begins to change the way you believe, it begins to change the way you interact with people, the way you see people, it begins to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ, and that's the point of the whole thing. But most importantly, when you really trust that God loves you with the love that's revealed on, on, on Calvary, and let that on the inside, and really let that marinate in your soul, it has the potential to satisfy that inner longing that we all have. All of us have this inner longing. Wanting to be significant, wanting to have the good life, wanting to feel like you're fully alive, feel like your life has meaning. Nothing in this world can, can, can fully satisfy that in any kind of temporary way, in, in, in any way but a temporary way. Can't do it in a permanent way. But when you let the love of God in to the deepest nook and cranny of your heart and he begins to heal those wounds, begin to fall in love, and that craving begins to go away. And now, but only now, are you empowered to opt out of the mammon game. So long as you're hungry, so long as you're living in that desperate mode, you're gonna be, you can't help it. You'll be grabbing after stuff. You're, you're going to get lured into that game. But let God deep into your heart, let Christ, the love of Christ, overwhelm you. And that, begin, that discontentment that drives the entire world begins to leave you. And that empowers you to opt out. And have a very different view of how you handle your money. It's, it's, it's replaced by what Paul calls this peace that passes understanding. Uh, and this ability to be content with what you've got wherever you are. Read Philippians 4. Paul's in prison, and yet he says, I've learned to be content. If I've got stuff, wonderful. If I don't have stuff, wonderful. You can find contentment in all situations. A peace that passes understanding, even, even the most st stressful situation, when you've got this fullness of God's love residing in your heart, and you know who you are, you know where you're going, and you know the big story, you know the big picture. You're living in the long narrative, not the short narrative. All right, this thing keeps coming off of me. I must have a weird-shaped head this morning. It's just not staying on. I don't compliment Augustine very often. Yeah, it just keeps on popping off of me. I, I, I should, do you have a stapler? You just staple it to my ear? <laughs> that, that'd work. Um, I don't compliment St. Augustine very much because, well, he got some things right. He got a lot of things wrong. But I will say, this is the most famous quote he ever gave, and he nails it. He says, uh, our hearts are restless, O Lord, until we find our rest in thee. Amen? There's a restlessness. It's an itch that needs to be scratched, and it, it, it never is satisfied until we anchor it in him. But here's the, 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 the part of this message that I felt the most gravitas about. So if you've been snoozing this far, wake up, because you want to hear this, all right? It's important for us to grasp 
the power of mammon, the wealth of this world, the enticing stuff of this world, um, it's powerful, but it's powerful in a very subtle and deceptive way. We've got to be aware of this. The easiest thing in the world is to be in the grips of mammon, to be under the pull of mammon, to be playing the mammon game, but not even know that that's what you're doing. That's how subtle it is. So to illustrate this, I'm going to read a passage from Luke chapter 12. It's where Jesus tells this parable. But before he tells the parable, uh, he's, uh, he, the parable is occasioned by a question that a guy asks. And so I'll start with that. This is from Luke chapter 12, starting with verse 13. So Jesus is teaching, and then someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I'll just pause for a second there. So this guy, uh, the Jewish law says that the firstborn gets all the inheritance, and then uh, the other siblings just have to depend on the good mercies of the firstborn. But apparently this guy had a stingy brother because the firstborn wasn't giving anything. So this guy wants Jesus to use the authority that he's got. People are following him. There's a crowd here. And he wants Jesus to leverage that authority on his behalf by telling his brother to share the money. And Jesus basically says to him, what makes you think that I came to this world to do that? Do I look like your lawyer? <laughs> Who put me in charge of that? I, he didn't come to resolve all the disputes of the kingdom of this world. All the political issues that are going on, he didn't come to answer all of our questions on that. He came to offer us a completely different alternative, much more beautiful kingdom to live in. And, and so he, he, he basically says to this guy, I'm not going to answer your question, but I'd like you to answer my question, or rather respond to my point. Because here's the kingdom point. I didn't, come to, I didn't come to answer that kind of worldly question, but I did come to resolve this kind of question, or at least give this kind of teaching. Be careful. He says this in verse 14. He says, be on your guard. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of evil, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You might think that life consists of an abundance of possessions. Maybe that's the message that, that you're getting, but that's a lie. Be on your guard. Be careful. Watch out. Be vigilant. Now think about this. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, hey, be, watch out. Be vigilant against adultery or watch out. Be vigilant against murder or against stealing or any other kind of sin because it's obvious when you do that. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Okay? There's no subtlety there. But he does say, watch out about all kinds of greed because there's something. Mammon is a subtle beast. The easiest thing in the world is for greed to creep in there. Begin to grab your heart. Be vigilant as you guard against this greed. It's subtle. You can be playing the mammon games and not even realize it. Now here's the point that really blew me away. Jesus is talking to this first century Jewish peasant audience. The vast majority of the people hearing this message are by our standards very, very poor. Uh, they work the land of wealthy people such as this farmer here. He would have people working this land for him. Uh, but they didn't own the land that they worked, not usually. And they lived in these tiny little huts, and they lived paycheck to paycheck, no, day to day. They got a denarii a day, usually, and, and that's what they'd live off of. Uh, their life was threatened all the time, because these landlords could just be vicious and cruel, and if they ever got into debt, well, they could sell their kids into slavery. So these folks don't have a whole lot going for them. And yet Jesus tells them to be careful, watch out for all kinds of greed, it's astounding. And they live in a culture, think about this, where the message that they get all the time from the Romans and the Jewish muckety-mucks that are in league with the Romans, the message that they get is, be content with what you've got. 
In fact, that, that has been the basic message of most cultures throughout history, because it's to the advantage of the powerful to keep those who are serving them content. Because if they get discontent, trouble might happen. So these people are, if anything, brainwashed to be content with what they've got. Not, they don't look for upward mobility. No one here is aspiring to leave the world a better place for their kids or anything like that. They just get by day to day. And yet Jesus says, be careful, watch out for all kinds of greed. Now, I'm thinking if, if these folks who are poor and, and don't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, things to be lusting after, and if these folks who are living in a culture that's telling them to be content, if they have to be careful about greed, how much more do we who live in a culture that tells us 24-7 not to be content? We're brainwashed not to be content. And how much more do we need to hear this than these peasants in the first century, because folks, by world standards, by historic standards, most of us hearing this message right now are very, very rich by world standards. Now, we probably, most of us don't feel very rich, because here's part of the deceptive power of mammon, is we tend to compare ourselves with the 1% that's above us rather than the 98% that's below us. And so we, as long as there's somebody who's got more than us, we feel like, well, we're just kind of middle class. We're just... We don't feel very rich. But if we can zoom out and look at our standard of living and compare it to the standard of living of human beings throughout history, well, folks, we've got luxuries and conveniences that, that, that the wealthiest kings in ancient history never dreamed of. And so even if you're relatively poor by Western standards, you're probably pretty wealthy by historic standards. So lock this in. When Jesus talks about the rich, he's talking about us. And when Jesus gives warnings about the rich, he's talking about us. This is, this is very sobering to me as I'm looking at this, that when Jesus says it's hard for the, rich, for the rich to get into heaven, I better listen up to this because I'm in the class of the people that he's talking about. Just let that sit there for a little bit. This is for us. And then Jesus tells this parable, and this parable is for us. Listen to this. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. The ground did that. And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I've got a great idea. I'm such a genius. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, if I just stop there, if you didn't know better, you might wonder, well, what, what's wrong with that? Because it's kind of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Probably what a lot of you are trying to do. Maybe not doing it well enough, but like, hey, you want to store up? I gotta, you know, what, what am I going to do? I wanna, if I got surplus, I want to sock it away for a rainy day. What's wrong with that? But God said to this man, you fool. I mean, the guy just looks like a good capitalist. Honestly, that's what capitalism is. Get surplus, store up for the future, and then live life easy, eat, drink, and marry. But God said to him, you fool! This night your life will be demanded from you, and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? For yourself. And then Jesus says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. What does this guy do wrong? What was so terrible about this? It looks, let's be honest, it looks pr pretty normal to us. This is our normal. This is how we think. This is what we're doing. This parable applies to us. What does this guy do wrong? Three things, I think. Number one, and it's subtle. 
He said, what should I do? Well, what will I do? How am I going to figure this out? What he didn't do is submit his surplus grain to God to say, what would you have me do with this? He worked on the assumption that this crop was his crop and this farm was his farm and his life was his life. And so therefore he had the authority to do with it whatever he wanted. He worked on the assumption he was Lord of his own life. His love for mammon, I'm assuming this guy was Jewish, but his love for mammon caused him to totally forget that God is the one who gave him this land and God, God owns the land and God grows the crop and God gave him his life and he owes God his all. He forgot that. He forgot that our job as human beings is to steward God's resources according to his will on earth as it is in heaven. It was our first mandate. He forgot what it was just to be a human being. So he doesn't, he doesn't invite God in the conversation. And that leads to a second mistake he makes. He says, I will kick back and, and, and eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to cash in on my good luck for myself and undoubtedly for my family. But other people were off the radar screen. Didn't consider what might his responsibility be to those who are in desperate need all around him as he's got this surplus grain. That leads to a third thing, and it's this. This guy wanted to have his best life now. He was shooting for his best life now. And so that is his reward. There you got it. Enjoy it while you have it, because it's going to leave you tonight. That's how transitory, how iffy these things are. He was a fool because he didn't think ahead. He didn't look at the big picture. He's like, right now, I want to have my best life now. Oh, you cash in on it. See, if he would have submitted his finances to God, I'm sure Abba Father would have said, hey, keep this portion to yourself. Because Abba Father loves to bless his kids. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't feel guilty about nice things that God has allowed you to have. But make sure that God allows you to have them. <laughs> Go to God with this. And see, if you would have went to Abba Father and submitted this to him, saying, thank you, Father, for blessing me with all this wealthy crop, how would you have me steward your resources? And the Abba Father would say, well, keep this portion to yourself and for your family, and even a little bit saved up for in case things go bad. But I want you to give this portion away. I want you to invest this in carrying out my will on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to notice the hungry people that are around you and the people on the margin. I, I see the good that you can do in this world with this surplus food uh, beyond just you and your family. And see, if the guy would have done that, he would have began to cultivate a character. He, he, he would have, in time, at first maybe it would have been tired, it would have been pulling teeth, oh, i got to give this away, I wish I could keep this for myself. He might have been thinking like that, but in time he would discover the joy of helping people, the joy of serving people, the joy of giving stuff away. It's so much more fun to give away stuff than it is to get stuff. He would have discovered that. And as he lives in this kind of, as he brings discipline to his finances, as he submits it to Abba Father, he's developing a character that would be compatible with Abba Father, and that is the reward that he has waiting for him in heaven. And see, whereas the, 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 the barn that you have now and the wealth that you have now and the wine that you have now and the reward that you have now, well, that, that was, is here today and gone tomorrow. What you invest in eternity goes on for eternity, praise God, forever and ever and ever, which is why you're a fool if you live your life just thinking about now and don't think about the kind of character you're developing that will carry you on into eternity. God is saying here, wake up, look at this big picture. And be rich towards God, because that's the riches that will last forever. Don't just be rich towards yourself. That goes, that's here today, God, tomorrow. Be wealthy towards God and it'll last eternity. Amen. Amen. So, closing word on this. We've got to be on our guard. We've got to be watchful. And, we, and, and this is the hardest part, to be honest with ourselves. 
Holy Spirit helps us to be honest with ourselves. The question I just want us to chew on here for a moment is this, are, are your finances submitted to God? Which is really just a way of saying, is your life submitted to God? Because there's no better indication of what you value with your life than where your finances go. We always have enough for what is really, really, really important to us. Um, are your finances submitted to God? Remember here that God, as you're asking this question, God loves you unconditionally with an unwavering, unsurpassable, perfect love. And, and God already knows the worst about you, and yet his love is still on the table. So God already knows the very, very worst about you. And I, I mention that because it gives us space to be honest with ourselves. We sometimes just like to play games with ourselves as though God didn't know what already what's going on out there. Just come clean with it. Ask the question, just out of curiosity. Are my finances submitted to God? It's safe to ask that question because his love doesn't depend on the answer. So ask this question honestly. Holy Spirit helps to be honest about this. Do you serve mammon or do you serve God? Do you despise God? Meaning, do you neglect God when it comes to finances, when it comes to decisions? Are you, is God out of the picture? What are you serving? Where, where's your mind at? Where's your heart at? Where's your treasure at? What preoccupies you? Is it doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven, carrying out the kingdom? Or is it, how do I get ahead? How do I improve? How do I get more? How do I acquire? I need this. I want that. I want all that. The nonstop broken record tape that mammon runs in our head about all the stuff that we need. Thank you, commercials. What, 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 what runs there? I, I, you can ask it this way. Do you, when it comes to like, important decisions on finances, do you instinctively ask the question, what do I want to do? Or maybe if you're married, what do we want to do? Or do you ask the question, God, what would you have us do? Just make a note of that. Be honest about that. Ask this question, how, how much of your spending is, 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 do you have the reward now? The way you use money is the reward primarily about right now, but makes your life better, more convenient, and happy, whatever, not right now? Or to what degree are you sacrificing for others, in which case you'll have a reward later on? It occurred to me as I'm putting this message together, and this is good during this time of Lent where a lot of us are, are jonesing on things we would like to have on nice days going out for walks with our dogs, but we're going to deny ourselves because it's Lent. Ugh. But see, it occurs to me that when we, when we sacrifice stuff now and, 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 and suffer to some degree to bring about the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, that is your investment in eternity. It forms your character in that direction. Suffering is good for our character and necessary for us to be disciplined as we're growing in our character. And that is an eternal investment. And if you're having trouble coping with the suffering you're going through in Lent or anything else, remind yourself of that. Play out, play out this, this, this big narrative you're investing in the future. To what degree is your spending bringing about a reward now? And to what degree is your spending bringing about a reward later on? Because you're spending it on others. You're investing in others. You're, you're reflecting God's character by the way that you steward his resources. There are some places that would tell you that, you know, that question should be already answered. You know, how, to what do you, how much are you spending on yourself versus how much you're giving to church and helping others? They say it's a 10% rule, the tithe. And we just don't teach that around here. Um, we think that was part of the Old Testament covenant. It's no longer part of the New Testament. In the New Testament, when they talk about giving, it's always what are you willing to do and what are you able to do? 
Because God loves a cheerful giver. It's not done out of coercion. So there's no fixed percentage point here. Some people take 10% as a, as, as a good benchmark because there's a pattern of that in Scripture. But there's no like legal, like this is what you got to do, otherwise thunder's gonna, lightning's going to come down. But you got to just seek God. Seek God's will on this. Honestly be seeking God's will. And if, you, if, if you're with others, you, you do it together. Whether it's with a spouse or friends or small group or spiritual friend. Uh, you have to honestly seek God and be honest about it. Some people ask this question. Uh, can it happen sometimes that, 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 that your giving is towards family members, whether it's a parent that's in need or kids in need? Does that count as kingdom giving? Even if you don't have anything left over or hardly anything left over for, for folks outside your family, does that count? And my response is, well, I can't rule that out. Seek God on that. But you've got to be honest when you seek God on this. It could be that, that for a season... Either kids in crisis or parents in crisis or whatever, you're helping them the way you'd help a stranger on the street. You know, you're gonna sacrifice your finances for them. And so if God says to do that, then feel good about doing that. That can happen. But be very careful, be on your guard, because mammon is a subtle beast. And you can find yourself getting to the point where, you know, you think you're doing a kingdom thing by your son, your son really needs a new yacht, you know, and 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 so you're just gonna help him out. And, and, and so, hallelujah. I, I would rather have that yacht for myself, but I'm going to give it to my son. Um, in a world where there are starving kids and thousands being displaced by war and people are living in, having a yacht does not count as a need. I'm sorry. Uh, are they genuinely in need? Need by what counts as a need in this world system? And, and yachts just don't rank up there. The main thing is be honest and be on your guard. Because mammon is a very subtle beast. But if we want to serve God wholeheartedly, we've got to get good at detecting him and saying no to that and getting our life from God and opting out of the mammon game so that we can live with this outrageous generosity towards others in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. amen. All right, all right. Praise God. I know it. It's, it's, if you really heard this message, it's very sobering. It's like, whoa. Uh, it's talking about us. All right, so if you want to go a little deeper in this message, on Tuesday we have our MuseCast. And I encourage you to tune in on that. And um, they, they, they address some very interesting questions and perspectives and things like that. Uh, we also have our gathering groups. Encourage everyone to be part of gathering groups. Um, get a sense of community there. Get to see other people's perspectives. It's a very valuable thing. Uh, if, you're, if, if you need prayer, we have prayer for our local congregation up front here at the, at the front of our auditorium. And I encourage you to come up here and get prayer with these folks, if, whatever the need is, whether it's this topic or some other topic. Or if you're part of our non-local congregation, you can get online and, and get prayer that way. I encourage you to do that. And if you're going to be in part of our local congregation next week, let us know. And you have kids, let us know so we have enough uh, folks to be taking care of our kiddos during the worship service. Lord, thank you for calling us to be your people. Give us hearts that are honest. Give us hearts that are hungry for you. Protect us from the evil one and from the deception and from the lure of mammon that we may be wholly devoted to you and reflecting your character, your love, and your will to every person we come in contact with throughout this upcoming week. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen.